Welcome to the Mindset to Milestones podcast. If you're looking for coaching and content proven to close the gap between your present versus your preferred performance in business or in life, you've come to the right place. Whether you're driving, sitting at your desk, or relaxing with your favorite beverage in hand, get ready for your hosts and their invited guests to get you out of your comfort zone and into the growth zone. And now, let's jump in with our Mindset to Milestones host, Robin Post, to be informed and transformed by Cesar Cavadoy, award-winning sales coach, entrepreneur, writer, and CEO of Playbook for Results, as he sets the stage for you to perform at the top of your game. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for this week's edition of Mindset to Milestones. I'm Robin Post, and joining me today is Cesar Cavadoy and Kevin Huff to talk about one of my favorite topics, EQ versus IQ, and the important role that EQ plays in driving better connections in the workplace, with customers, and even, or maybe especially, in personal relationships. So when it comes to building new client relationships and business partnerships, it can often seem that your credibility depends on how much you know about a given product or good or service. But what about how you connect with people and understand their emotions or recognize how they feel, not just by the words they're saying, but through their tone, their body language, or simply put, how skilled are you at reading between the lines and understanding your audience? So I think this is a good segue over to you, Caesar. And one of the questions that came top of mind for me when listening to your most recent clip was the importance of mindset when it comes to understanding something that you want to improve in. So if we're looking at improving your EQ or your emotional intelligence, I know you had mentioned it starts with asking the question, what am I going to do about it? Once you recognize that there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be. So I wanted to ask you, how have you taken intentional steps in your career to focus on EQ and having the right mindset? Well, first of all, I want to welcome you, Robin. Just a quick background. You know, we first met, I believe, shortly after you were finishing up your graduate degree. And I just started writing Getting a Grip on Leadership, which coincidentally, your graduate degree was on leadership development. So anyhow, since then, our two families obviously have become very close. And I've always enjoyed your insight and feedback on all things leadership and customer experience. This is the area where I believe you have some incredible breadth and depth of experience. So I'm looking forward to this topic as well. All that to say, hey, Glad to have you as our host of the Mindset to Milestones podcast. Now, back to your question. The question that I actually ask is, what is the mindset that I need in order to achieve X? Or what's my mindset, also known as attitude, towards the goal or the objective or the task that I have at hand? And then I ask myself, what am I going to do about it, as you said before? And for me, being a black and white person, there's only one of two answers. Once I know that I've got the right mindset, I either step up or step out. The second part of your question, what intentional steps have I taken to focus on EQ and having the right mindset? In terms of the intentionality to improve my own emotional intelligence, I've been an avid student of nonverbal verbal communication for over two decades. But in terms of having the right mindset, since you know, we both met at a small group at church. The right mindset for me always starts with prayer and gaining the right perspective. I know that that's not the case for everyone listening, but that's kind of where I start. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. It's important to first understand what do you, you know, being vulnerable and honest with yourself and recognizing, okay, if I'm not where I want to be and there's a, a key change that I need to make, it's 
first being willing to take a step back and say, okay, what is that? And I loved how in your clip, you mentioned the importance of getting feedback from others and asking for input from your coworkers or your family on, hey, how do you perceive me and and making it a real honest conversation and not wanting to defend yourself or be worried about, ooh, are they going to be a little too honest with me? But I think that's another important step to take is do some some good self-reflection and be willing to hear the maybe not so easy stuff to hear in terms of feedback. Well, you know what? This is a great segue to introduce our guest who for the last for the last 15 years has been that thorn in my side that consistently gives me feedback even when I don't want it. It's my partner Kevin Huff, our chief outcomes officer for Playbook for Results. How often do I actually ask you for feedback. Oh, goodness. Well, it happened just a couple hours ago. In fact, I'm like meeting at eight o'clock tonight to get this podcast recorded isn't enough. I have to work with you before that also. It's a well, first of all, you were at lunch with your son whose out birthday it was, yeah, or birthday. excuse me, out to dinner, yeah. right? It was his birthday. Yeah. And uh, every single week we're recording the coaching to a clip segments. I don't record anything until I actually rehearse it with Kevin or actually review the transcript and and script with with Kevin and say, here's the points that I want to go through. Now, give it to me. When you do what we do, uh, it can be intimidating for a lot of people. And people generally want to tell you what they think you want to hear. And so it's so important to have people in your life that can give it to you without any type of filter. And that's Kevin. (laughs) Yeah, that can give it to you straight. And also recognize that it's coming from a place of genuinely caring about you too. It's not to put you down or make you feel bad, but it's ultimately to help you improve and get better. And I think that's what's at the heart of emotional intelligence. And I think it's a topic that really is undervalued in the workplace of how much of a difference this really can make and driving the results that you want to see and making those more productive connections with people. So I wanted to know what At what point did you realize the importance of having emotional intelligence in your career? Maybe, Kevin, I can hand it over to you for this one. Yeah, I'll take a good stab at it. When you look at those typical like psychological surveys that tell other people how to talk to you, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strength Finders, you name it. You know, they put their red, yellow, green, blue blocks on their desk and expect you to remember what red and yellow mean when you walk into the office and you know how to talk to them. Those things never. We're laughing because yeah. Robin's showing us her red, yellow, yeah. blue, green. Yes, I, I, show I me, show me those, show me those again, Robin, so I know how to talk to you, please. There you go. <laughs> okay, green, yellow. Yes, not helpful at all. The problem is, you know, those things for me. I was a just so you know, I'm a red, and I'm a D, I, I'm an ENTP, which means I don't care about any of those things I just shared with you. Right? <laughs> that's my natural. That's my natural feeling. So, quick story. I met with a guy. I was getting certified on DISC, and I just, he right out of the gate said, You know, here's your scores. And I said, I don't care. And he's like, Well, you don't care because you're a DI. And I'm like, Yeah. So I still don't care. Label me whatever you want to label me. He said, Why don't you care? And I said, Because no one's ever showed me why this matters. Hmm. And I just need to get my work done. And now I have to sit here for all day long just to get certified to do something I don't even believe in. So, what's the point? And I wasn't trying to be rude. It was a matter of fact, meaningful conversation we were having. I'm making this story shorter than it really was. He said, Who in the room do you have trouble with? And I said, Her. And I pointed right at right at a lady in the in the room and he said, well, what's the challenge? And I shared with him what the challenge was. And she's like, yeah, that's the problem. And he goes, okay, I'll, let's see if we can work on it. Well, he wasn't going to do anything in front of her, but he took me to dinner that night and he said, here's what's going on. You know, you're a fireman. You get asked to do these drills. At the last minute, you've got to run and go fix something in some other city. And you're going to her and asking her to become a part of your fireman team, but she's already busy. She doesn't have time to prioritize your stuff just because you are the fireman and you have the emergency. And so the way you're going about it is wrong. 
this was a long time ago, 15, 16 years. He said, you're going to her and saying, I need you to do this for me right away because it's your job. At least that's what she's hearing. What you need to be going to her and saying is, hey, I know you're busy. I know you got things on your plate. So if you can't get to this, I understand and I'll take care of it. But if you can, I got another fire drill. If you can help me out, I could use your help. Well, as soon as I recognized that I was frustrated with the way she was responding to me, because from my perspective, she wasn't doing her job. And I realized that I could talk to her in a different way that was meaningful to her, which by the way, was tied to my emotions, right? That were about that particular topic and that particular conversation. I wouldn't say I realized I could I could uh, use it for evil and manipulate people into doing what I wanted to do, but I could have a much better conversation with her and we could both end up much happier. And guess what? For the next two years, I never had to beg for her to do anything. Whatever I went to her, she did it every time because I knew how to approach her. So that for me was a turning point. I certainly understood emotions were important prior in the in the workplace, but that was the first time when I recognized the outcome associated with the intelligence tied to what you're feeling and thinking and doing. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point that it's not just about knowing yourself and your own style and the way that you communicate, but really understanding those that you work with or even your customers that you're going to be, you know, wanting to have a connection with. And and I think that's key. And sometimes it's hard to know that until you get into rapport building questions and you take your focus off of just trying to sell right now and more on getting to know you. And I think that's easier said than done. And I'm sure sometimes there are roadblocks that come in along the way that can prevent someone from taking a step back and saying, okay, I know I'm stressed right now. I know I need to sell. I know I have a quota to hit. So how do you reconcile the natural stressors that come along with what you do with remembering I have to keep people top of mind? Yep. Well, you're hitting it. Half of half of emotional intelligence is that social side. The other half is the internal side, right? So on the social side, it's, am I aware of what's going on? Am I managing the relationship the way I need to manage it? And that was a big turn for me. And ever since then, I've understood it significantly better, spent time studying it and uh, and now, you know, offer courses on it. Definitely. And so I have both of your emotional intelligence results in hand. I know the three of us took them um, from Talent Smart, And this is a company that provides emotional intelligence assessments, like Kevin was mentioning. So I can't wait to dig into this. But I thought I would start by asking. I know you've known each other for a long time. You've worked together for years. Since you haven't seen your results, who <laughs> thinks that they might be, I don't know, have a little bit of an edge in terms of your emotional intelligence score? Well, you oh get boy. to go first, Caesar. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say that we're within a point or two of each other. You know, I read this report a long time ago. It said, if the person who you choose to marry, your spouse, is within 10 IQ points of your own, that your chances of long-term success are far greater than if it's 10 points or more that separates your IQ scores. And I think the same can be said for business partners. If your EQ scores are relatively close, and I don't know what the spectrum is, but I, I don't I don't think we're that far off. What do you think, Kevin? I think he's probably right. You know, we have had an extremely, you know, honest, candid, uh, full of candor relationship for the last uh, dozen years. You know, uh, other than my wife, there's probably nobody else that I have to deal with things as directly and honestly as I can uh, than than Caesar. Um, so we're probably pretty close. I would guess we're both pretty high. I will say this. He doesn't come off as an emotional man, right? <laughs> Caesar doesn't. No. And, and this is tied to the one thing he does great, right? And that's not study emotions. That's tied to stats and facts. So uh, people would probably tell you that they would connect differently with me than they would with him from an emotional standpoint. And then they would also tell you they connected differently with him than with me from an IQ standpoint. So I think that might be the place that there's a difference. Uh, not that he would be more or less intelligent than me, or I would be more or less emotional than him necessarily, but that people would connect with this in that way more. Definitely. And 
Go ahead. And, yeah, and I will say this, and I appreciate that. I, I tend to be very controlled with my emotions, but I will cry in, you know, the occasional romantic comedy, etc. I, I have no problem <laughs> admitting that. Yes, love it, right? But back to where I feel my role is, my biggest impact that I can make to people is to look at evidence versus focusing on emotion. It's the facts versus feelings. It's the drama versus data. I mean, any way that you put it, I'm going to always look for or the evidence that helps me to be as objective as I can. And, and that's driven by a deep desire to set the stage for people to achieve what matters most. So I can't be the you know dramatic feeling emotion person while I'm focused on looking at objective data. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why I think people may not see me as emotionally attached. Caesar, there's the thing is though, and I want to make sure our listeners understand this. What you're discussing is not drama or or emotions like you're aware of your emotions and you're letting them help guide you. What you're talking about is drama like I don't like so and so or he said this, that, and the other right. and crap like right. that. And, and there's a significant difference, right? Because from an emotional intelligence standpoint, those emotions are super hypercritical to the outcomes and our successes. But it's about what we understand about them and how they help us achieve the objectives we set before ourselves. There's a great um, correlation between resilience and emotional intelligence and resilience being that thing that for the last 45-ish years we've been studying that we really recognize is uh, one of the characteristics that significantly separates those who achieve from those who don't achieve. And so I just want to make sure for our listeners, Caesar, that they understand exactly what you're getting at there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good point that, I mean, I've even faced this too, where I've been more inclined as as a green, yellow, you can see in my blocks here, to focus more on the emotional side of things, the people side of things, sometimes a little too much, whereas I think there need there does need to be balance. It's important, you know, from an emotional intelligence standpoint to understand how people work. And I've almost had to rein in my want to just connect and ask how you're doing and how was your weekend and spend time in small talk a little more than I probably should sometimes, whereas I have to recognize my audience too and know that, hey, some people don't have time to just chat. Like we need to get down to business and get started and then reserve that for, you know, the appropriate time and place. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's a great point that you bring up and that we can't, we can't ignore the importance of stats and facts. It's a matter of finding the the blend between the two to help you achieve the best results. And I've learned that definitely in my new role that I've been in is I might not be naturally inclined to look at what the data is saying first, but I've started to do that because you're right. It does help with the emotional side of things. If something feels like it's not going wrong or the perception is that things are all bad, maybe it's not. You know, it's it's the numbers that will tell us what's really happening and then you can respond accordingly. Yeah, I think you're right on on, on track. Here's, here's the thing, you know, you mentioned rapport building earlier. And so we have this thing in our workshops. We talk about yeah, everything to me is kind of a courtroom, right? So I look at this versus that. And we talk about relationship building versus rapport building. And here's some of the issues that we have with rapport building is a lot of the training that's been out there for the last several decades talks about finding a common ground or finding something to do with that customer or prospect that'll, you know, break the ice or get into some chit chat. And here's the thing, they're not interested in chit chat. So a high EQ person would understand that and get right to business. And then there's other people out there that that is how you build a relationship with them. They want to get into the chit chat, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if you start to immediately go for something that is of importance to them, that they're going to back off. So it's, it's having that 
acuity and that sense of where should I bring the conversation? Where should I take the conversation that I, I think is a hallmark of people that have high, high IQs? They're, they're more interested in building relationship on the other person's terms versus just kind of going through a monologue of rapport building exercises with, with the prospect. Right. The awareness point is key. And, and that brings right. us back. I realized I asked you what you think each other's EQ scores are and then never revealed the results. So you were spot on, Caesar. You're just two points difference between each other. So it actually is Kevin that has a slightly higher EQ score. And just to explain a little bit about what goes into this. So there's two different buckets that make up an EQ score, your personal competence and social competence. And the personal side, Kevin mentioned this, it's about self-awareness and self-management. And then the social side is social awareness and relationship management. So all four of those feed into your EQ score. So how about that? Is that is that surprising? No, it's not at all that we would be that close to each other. I, it's disappointing, I it to me. but not surprising. No, it's <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered to either of us who was two no. points ahead. It's good, it's good to know that we're close and it's good to know. I'm guessing you didn't say it, Robin, but I would guess that we're not 60s or 70s. So oh, no, you, you are to, you in don't the need 90s. To share. That's okay. You didn't need to share, but... <laughs> Uh, that would be also not necessarily a marriage made in heaven if we were both a, a 52. So, right. And, and that's what I love about this assessment in particular is it helps you. I like how it frames everything from, Hey, you're not a lost cause. If you're low on the totem pole, it just means there's some work to do. This is the starting yeah. point of bringing that awareness and, and helping you improve. And I actually just saw my results too. And I, I'm a little bit lower than than the both of you, but you know I see that Added as together or. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I know that would be great, but it actually is a, a good you know indicator for me of hey, I think I've let some things in you know my own circumstances influence how I respond to people. You know, I, I've been if you're under stress, sometimes then you start to focus more on you, and you can forget the importance of making sure that you're still taking time to adapt and tailor to what other people need to and how they communicate. Well, you know, here's the thing. Like if you if you really want to know practically where you should start, start by understanding where you sit. And mm -hmm. even the tests that we use, I think that every single bucket with the exception of the ones that are, you know, maybe sub 50, let's just say that your score is somewhere between the 50 and 90 range. Even, even folks that are in the 90 range, there's still room for improvement, right? Right. That's just it. So where you would start is trying to figure out or, or figuring out where you actually are when it comes to EQ and then start working on the areas that would make the most impact to improve it. Because part of that is getting, I mean, talk about self-awareness, understanding what the costs are, right? Sometimes the costs are, hey, I've got to let go of this particular thing that I've held on to for such a long time, or there's this particular distraction that's preventing me from really listening. One of the things that I do practically is I don't carry a phone with me on weekends. I don't really have a phone with me after five o'clock because it actually dulls my senses. I don't want to be distracted when I'm supposed to be connecting with family or with my wife. That's just not something that I like. <laughs> there was a story about 10 years ago, I would say now. We happened to be in the same state, in the same, same city. He was meeting with one of our clients. I was meeting with another. We were at dinner and his phone buzzes in the middle of dinner. And it's yep. my wife because um, she knows I'm not carrying a phone. We actually have a rule in our house. There's no phones allowed on the dinner table, no phones allowed in the car. And so just little practical things like that, like, 
remove distractions. If it's going to be a distraction, it's not to say that you can't have your phone. I'm not advocating for never carrying a phone when you're with family. All I'm saying is know what the distractions are that are preventing you from connecting and really understanding what the other person is going through or what they're feeling or what yeah, they're Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I know the environment that we've been in today has, and with most people working from home now, has made that even harder. You know, the distractions of my my work never ends. You know, it, it follows me no matter where I go. And how has that been something that you've been able to adapt to? I think, you know, there are often distractions that will come up despite, you know, the fact that we're in a a global pandemic right now, how do you navigate that on a day-to-day knowing there are things that will cause you to feel stressed or pressured or overwhelmed and, and not let your reactions get the best of you when you're under those feelings? So I always look at things in terms of what's the end zone versus what's the end game. I've got goals and objectives and they're short-term, mid-term. That's the end zone. And then what's the end game? Like, what is it that I'm really here to do? That's really what I focus on all the time. And anything that doesn't have to do with those two specific areas, I don't even think about it. Don't worry about it. I'm not concerned about it. I'm only focused on what are my top end zone objectives? What's my end game? And for the different roles that I have in life, you know, when it comes to parenting or when it comes to being a spouse or when it comes to my role as a business partner. There's an end game to each one of those. And then there's end zone objectives along the way. And I just completely focus on that. Everything else just doesn't matter. Well, we obviously are two points away from each other, how we think on that one. <laughs> no, I, I, I clearly agree. Uh, I think if you know I didn't, we would have probably a big problem launching this podcast together. But I want to add to it a couple of things. You know, the question is, how do we get through some of these challenging things? And I had commented on resilience earlier. Tough times is where people learn whether or not they have resilience. They can't tell you their resilience until they've gone through it and, and they learn about it after the fact. One of the things I think that causes some of these challenges, because we always look to, like to look for the root cause, is we have this distorted view or this distorted attachment to things, to people, to ideas, to things, to places. And we allow those distorted views to persuade us to make decisions that are wrong or that take us in the wrong direction. And so when we think about uh, whether it's losing a job or losing a house or you know, whatever it may be, which has been an unfortunate circumstance for many over the last year, uh, and again, a decade ago, right, in the 2008-2009 timeframe, we see two really types of people, those that kind of get crushed by it and those that crush it, uh, to borrow some language from our friend EP that we all know. And and the people that crush it are the ones that have have a cleaner and clearer view of reality and they're not tied to something that they should be letting go of. Uh, the idea, perhaps, that this couldn't happen to you, which is an absurd idea, right? Anything could happen to any of us at any point in time. The person that is in a, a relationship with somebody that is a, um, a very unhealthy relationship, but, but believing they should remain in that relationship even even though it's unhealthy or, or, or keep the relationship, you know, as it is, even though it's unhealthy, all of these things lead to folks that, that will struggle, but it's that that's so tied to that emotional intelligence aspect of recognizing when my memories are telling me that I should do something because of the situation I'm in, but those memories are misleading me, or I've got this attachment to something that shouldn't be there or a distorted view. So I would just simply add to what Caesar's saying from maybe a root cause perspective, we've got to figure out what it is that's that's keeping people from moving the direction they need to move, which is toward the end zone and toward the end goal. Right. I think we could have a, a whole nother podcast on identifying root causes of problems. I, I think that's a, a whole nother um, just area of bringing forth awareness and a better understanding of how to how to move forward and, and achieve success. So I love that. Well, let, let me add something real quick just to give a practical example, because when you think about, say, 
play this terminology or tout these words all day long, end game versus end zone. So we think about, you know, from a leader's perspective in a business, in terms of exercising or prioritizing emotional intelligence, start looking at objective metrics relative to that end game or end zone objective. I always say that business owners and leaders have a sole responsibility to protect the livelihood of the people who have come to work for their firm or for their business. So that's the end game. If you sign up as a business leader or business owner, you are there to protect the livelihoods of the people that have chosen to go to work every single day so they can provide for their families, so they can fulfill their own personal goals and their own personal objectives. And the only way that that can continue to happen where they get a paycheck every single week to be able to fund their fun is if the business owner takes care of their own top priorities, the business's top priorities. So those are the end zone. There's the end game, and then there's the end zone. End game, I said, protect the livelihood. End zone, there's really three things. Because if you look at operationally excellent companies throughout history, they cared about three things. They cared about having exceptional cultures. They cared about taking care of their customers well, and they cared about making sure they had profitable cash flow. So a leader can show EQ how EQ impacts in those three areas objectively, right? I mean, we, we've been doing this for uh, over 15 years and we've been able to help our customers grow as Kevin said in the middle of the worst recession since the Great Depression the 2008-2009 you know financial collapse and even during this current pandemic and we've been able to impact cash flow compound annual growth rates for every client that we've worked with have had double digit sustained growth when it comes to their cultures they've all experienced positive attrition high employee satisfaction ratings. This isn't just us saying it. This is actual stats saying it, right? And not to mention that the customer sat ratings, whatever net promoter scores go through the roof when we implement our systems, both on the relationship building side and also on the leadership development side. And a big part of that has to do with the C part of our framework, which is make sure that you understand what's on the customer's mind. It's that client-focused mindset, which has to do 100% with empathy. And that's a key component here when it comes to EQ. So that's where I would end, you know, by just saying practically end zone versus end objective or end game, bifurcate the two, really figure out what matters most in the context of who you're serving and then track things objectively. Everything else just doesn't matter. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point, Caesar, about the role of coaches and team leaders, or I should say the elevated role that they have in helping demonstrate what what it looks like to have resilience, to be um, willing to put aside the pressure to make, you know, another dollar and and say, how are we going about this the right way? Let's take a step back and figure out how we can, you know, make sure that the customer stays top of mind and, and what they're needs are first, and then the rest will follow. I know you said that, you know, those with high EQ, there's a a direct correlation there between more engaged employees and better customer outcomes. So I think it's definitely something that we need to be paying attention to. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to wrap up. And I just wanted to thank Kevin and Caesar for welcoming me onto this podcast. It's been a pleasure connecting with you both and reflecting on all of our experiences with emotional intelligence and the milestones that we've had personally toward improving this. So thanks so much for um, having me. And and hey, by the way, we are committed to helping you to improve your EQ score. <laughs> I was going to say, you got it. You, I was hoping we could just skim past that, pretend like it, it wasn't there. No but you know what? Say, I think- if you want to be in the classroom, 
get in there with somebody who does it better than you do. There you right? go. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what did you say, Caesar? You said make it the you have to watch someone. You you said it best, but watch someone well, to level up. One of my you. first mentors, right, um, who found out that I was just an avid reader. He goes, "What would happen if you had to learn everything firsthand?" Well, I mean, I think I'd be the smartest guy in the room. He goes, first of all, that shouldn't be your end objective. Second of all, here's what would really happen. You die stupid. I mean, <laughs> talk about bursting my bubble. But here's what he said, which is really defined how we've approached training and development, etc. He said, there's always someone out there that does something better than you do. Get close enough to watch that puts you in the classroom. And so we've always made it a practice of looking for people that do things better than we do and then modeling and even choosing them as mentors. Yeah, and I think that takes humility too, but that's at the heart of what we're talking about today is recognizing mm -hmm. there we're not perfect. You know, there's some room to improve. There may be others who have a higher bracket of EQ score than you do. <laughs> it's either humility or laziness. I just don't want to have to figure it out on my own. Right, exactly. Good combination of both over here. That's right. Cool. Well, any closing comments, any final pieces of advice you would share? I don't know if I have any advice to share. I feel like uh, I got an opportunity to speak earlier and I thank you for that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, one of the founders of the company, uh, but I'm not on these podcasts often. So Caesar, thank you. And Robin, thank you for allowing me to sit in on this one with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. The only thing I would end with is, you know, it's important to count the cost. Uh, if you want to be sold out to something, especially when it comes to improving your EQ score, first understand the impact of where you currently sit, whether it's personal or professional relationships, it's having an impact. So understand that and then just be sold out, be committed to pay the cost so that you can improve your EQ score. There's enough data out there that says having a higher EQ not only impacts your ability to lead people, but anyone else in your organization, it's going to help the overall mission and vision of the company itself. So that's it. Great. Well, Kevin and Caesar, it's been a pleasure chatting with you on this Friday evening about the importance of emotional intelligence. And thanks so much for having me. For more great content, go ahead and check us out at pb4r.com to find podcasts, coaching clips, blogs, and great content around topics and strategies to help you get to the top of your game. Again, I'm Robin Post. Thanks for joining me tonight, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Mindset to Milestones podcast. For more information on content and coaching designed to set the stage for you to get to the top of your game, please visit the Mindset to Milestones website at MindsetToMilestones.com. That's Mindset, the number two, Milestones.com. We look forward to you joining us next time for another episode of Mindset to Milestones. And remember, everything starts by having the right mindset.